Hey, we are, uh, we're digging into, um, we're digging into the last letter of this little series, as Katrina said, on uh, Paul's short little letters, and uh, we come then to Thessalonians. So um, I'm going to give you the passage here right up front. So if you want to get your phone out or your hard copy Bible and go to 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, if you don't, we're putting it on the screen, so you ought to be safe. But, um, yeah, you'll want to be able to follow along. A lot of stuff here in 1 Thessalonians, as in all these little short letters. Um, so here's what Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 13. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 and 14. Starting off here. And then we're going to jump to chapter 5 here. Paul says, But we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who have died, so that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so... Through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have died. Chapter 5, verse 1. Now concerning the time and the seasons, brothers and sisters, you do not need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. When they say, there is peace and security, then suddenly destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and there will be no escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light and children of the day, and you are not of the night or of darkness. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Ah, yeah. So these two letters to the Thessalonians, all right? The source of so much speculation and I'm going to say bad doctrine about the end times and Jesus' return and... Uh, I'm not going to dig into all that this morning. Matter of fact, Garrett loves talking about this stuff to a fault, and we'll let him deal with that. Uh, so without digging into all this return Jesus stuff that's been so misconstrued, and we can just say this much from the, just the short little passages right there. The Thessalonians must have been wondering exactly when will Jesus return. They must have been thinking that because Paul's writing to them about it, Yeah. Were they doubting Jesus' return? Were they doubting that Jesus was going to come back? Was Jesus really going to come back and bring justice to the world? Were they doubting? I mean, after all, it's been nearly 20 years, when Paul writes this letter, since Jesus rose from the dead and promised that he would return right there in the beginning of Acts, the book of the Acts of the Apostles. So just to get our reference here, laser pointer time and the map, so, yeah, I know, watch your eyes. Uh, so, um, here we are, Thessalonica is right here. This is where he's writing to. Um, Athens, present-day Athens is right around here. Here's some of the other cities. Last week we were talking about uh, Colossians there, Colossae. So, Jerusalem and all that's down here. The Holy Land's down here. So, here we are in Thessalonica. It's a port city, as you can see. And any time before railroads <laughs> were invented... Water was the way the world got around, and so if you're a port city, you're an important place. And that's what we have going on here, um, right there in Macedonia. So uh, Paul writes both of these letters to the Thessalonians right around 50 to 52 A.D. And um, really, really quite early. If you go with scholars and saying that Jesus probably was crucified and rose um, around 30 A.D., 33 A.D., and then these are coming to about 20 years later, um, uh, much to the, because of the Roman Empire and what they were doing to Jews at the time. 
mostly moving them around and kicking them out of Rome and other things like that. Then this is probably the earliest letter in the New Testament, 1 Thessalonians. Um, It comes earlier than the four Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And due to the fact that Thessalonians are asking exactly when is Jesus supposed to return, it indicates that the letter is early. This is an early, early, early question for the very, very first church. After all, people are all still walking around who actually saw Jesus risen from the dead, right? And some are starting to die, and they're starting to ask the question, when's he coming back? You know, what's that look like, right? So Paul's response to the Thessalonians' doubts swirling around then. He just covers in broad brushstrokes here from me. Keep the faith and remember what you saw in the light when you're in the dark, when you're doubting. Keep the faith. Remember in the light what you saw in the dark, which is a good, you know, philosophy for all of us to have about everything, right? But we have doubts too. Yes, don't we? We have doubts. Like the Thessalonians, we wonder, when will Jesus return? When will the world receive justice? Will God intervene? When will justice come down upon the people? We doubt if God is really capable of taking care of us. Should we take things into our own hands? Which I guess the answer is, yeah, we did, because that's what we all keep doing. Most immediately, though, we doubt if we'll ever have a world free from an oppressive pandemic these days, or free from war, or free from racism, and free from political strife, and free from pollution, and climate change, and on and on and on. Will the world ever be at peace? Will God save us? Or will science and technology save us? Will progressive thinking save us? Or will just going back to the good old days the way it was, will that save us? Uh, John Foreman, actually one of my favorite Christian artists of Switchfoot, the band Switchfoot. Uh, John Foreman uh, wrote a really good song. And it's a solid song about doubt. And that's what we're really talking about here. And Chris Lee... And the band, they're going to perform the song right now for us. And Chris likes the song, and he told me about it, and then I listened to it. And uh, Chris thinks that John Foreman got it right. Okay, so listen in on the lyrics here. There are two kinds of, of spiritual doubt out there. There's the first one that's really not so good, which is, I mean, meaning I'm not really trying to pass judgment on it as much as like. The first one is, is there a God? A very modern thing to think. Uh, and then the second one is... Uh, where's God, which is actually the better doubt. The difference between where is God or is there a God and, and where's God is what the Bible does. The Bible hardly ever asks, is there a God? The Bible simply asks, where's God? Notice the entire Foreman, John Foreman's song. Notice the entire time he clings to God, even though doubting God. That is a proper biblical way to doubt Okay, now we moderns, even postmoderns, but mostly moderns, we tend to think, is there a God? As, but the reason why I call it a bad question isn't because it's an illegitimate question as much as it doesn't work. You can't find any traction on it. I mean, who knows if there's a God or not? You know, get your shrug on. You know, like, uh, I don't know. Who's sitting around making this? Like, there's not a God. Like, well, who told you there's not a God? Like, there is a God. Well, who told you there is a God? Better to just take the Jewish biblical route and just cling to God while arguing with God. That's what the Bible does the whole time, arguing with God. So that's why it's a good song. (laughs) When I was in college, uh, I had an Episcopal priest, young guy, and he told me, he told me, you know, doubt is the ants 
in the pants of faith. Doubt is the ants in the pants of faith. Now, I remember it, and it's super memorable, but it's a little hokey, you know? I mean, doubt is the ants in the pants of faith. They're like, yeah, I get it. I mean, it sounds sometimes a little too simple to me now. Uh, it's a little too chicken in the soup for the soul, if you know what I'm saying. Um, but it sure is memorable, and it still works. You can pull it out when you need it. But let's go thicker, okay? Because I'm preaching. You know, maybe a lot of doubt is about when. When are you coming back, Jesus? Maybe a lot of doubt is about when. It's about time, timing. Maybe doubt is about when. When will I find the right woman? When will I find the right man? When will I get married? Will I ever get married? All when questions. When's that going to happen? Am I even marryable? When will they stop teething? When will the fever break at three in the morning? When will they be able to feed themselves and other bodily things? Of course, uh, I'm speaking as a wife of a 33-year-old. But how long will I have to stand in line at the pharmacy and breathe other people's breath these days? What about the ER? What about the DMV? I think somewhere in the Bible it says hell is the DMV. I think it's standing in line at the DMV. You know, when, when I was studying for this teaching, uh, in my journal last March, I, it was a little note, and it said in capital letters, I wrote in there, wait, and then I wrote Zechariah. Zechariah? Like, yeah, we all read Zechariah this week. It's one of those minor prophets there in the Bible buried between, I don't know, Nahum or something in there, you know? And Zechariah, why did I write Zechariah when I'm talking about waiting? And time, you know, right there in the Old Testament, this minor prophet who told Israel, look, we've all messed up, Israel. We've all messed up, and that's why we lost the land, and they dragged us off into Babylonia, right? And the game's up. We messed up, and we're paying for it now. Slaves in a foreign land. And then Zechariah says, God says to him, but I love you. And I will bring you home once again. Just wait. Just wait. Pretty much the bulk of the Bible is filled with people waiting. The when question. If the Bible is a book about the human condition, then it is clear that to be human is to wait. Wait goes along with doubt. We ask the doubt question because we wonder when. They're always connected. Because doubts must wait. I wonder if God cares. I wonder if God cares about my condition. I wonder if he cares about my child, my marriage, my loneliness, my job, my cancer, my sadness. I wonder if God cares. When, O oh Lord? How long, O oh Lord? How long do I have to wait? In Henry Nowen's classic little book, The Way of the Heart, which kind of studies the desert fathers and mothers from the 4th century, my specialty, by the way, Nowen states that silence makes us pilgrims. Silence makes us pilgrims. You know, and by pilgrims, Nowen's not talking about the dudes with the big hats with the buckle on it and the bunderbuss shotgun. He's talking about, like, people on a journey. Those kind of pilgrims. You know, 
that are heading somewhere. Now it's talking about people making a journey. And now it says, silence makes us pilgrims. And when Henry now speaks of silence, he's not just talking about a, a, a discipline. It's talking about a holy silence. And John Foreman in his song says, so I'm just waiting here in the silence. You know why? Because silence is the first language of God. And you better scratch real deep on that one. Silence is the first language of God. Silence is the first language of God. And even when God does speak to us, it's super short. I told the story a thousand times. One time I'd make retreat every month, right? I'm out at Tall Oaks out there by DeSoto. And I, it had been a terrible retreat. I wasn't focused. I was working on it, you know. And I'm like, well, I better go. i got to pack up and go home, you know. Kids and everybody's waiting. So I go and take one last loop walking down a road. And I got my journal. I always tuck my journal in my back of my belt, you know, so in case i got to write something down. I'm walking along the road. And I go, God, show me my sin. And God says to me, oh, you want to know your sin? And I'm like, what? <laughs> You're like, like, it's in my mind. He goes, he goes, you don't need anybody. Pulled out the journal, wrote down, God showed me my sin. I don't need anybody. Bam, went home. God answers super short. You don't need anybody. That's my sin. It's still my sin. Silence is the first language of God, and when God does talk, it's short. You want the full explanation? Waiting is going to be your primary goal in life. That's what you're going to be doing. Even in doubts, we wait for God's voice. And brothers and sisters, this is holy, hard work. Waiting shapes us into spiritual giants. If you can learn to wait, then you have achieved greatness, even at the DMV. You become a spiritual giant. Years ago, spiritual author John Ortberg wrote about a psychological condition that was named hurry sickness. Hurry sickness? You know, like hurry. And John Ortberg describes it this way. Hurry sickness is like this, and I'm quoting from his book. At the grocery store, if we have a choice between two checkout lines, we find ourselves counting how many people are in each line. And multiply this by the number of items in each cart. And if we have a really bad case of hurry sickness, then even after we get in line, we keep track of the person who would have been us in the other line. And if we get through the person who would have been us still waiting, then we are elated. We've won. But if the altar me is walking out of the store while we're still in line, then we feel depressed. That is hurry sickness. You ever do this hurry sickness? I guess not. My children do not know a world without a smartphone, right? And yet we are more anxious than ever. Henry Nouwen went on to say in his book, he says, silence makes us pilgrims. And by pilgrims, he is saying, you've got to be on a journey. And he's echoing one of my favorite psalms in the Bible, Psalm 84, 
Psalm 84, verse 5. It's a beautiful passage, and I'm going to share it with you here. Psalm 84, verse 5. Happy are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion, Zion's Jerusalem. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. Their early rain also covers it with pools, and they go from strength to strength. The God of gods will be seen in Zion. Psalm 84, 5 through 7. Baca translates tears. You go through the valley of tears in life, and you go from still pool to still pool of water, and you take the drink where you can get it. That's what it's like to be a pilgrim. Travel light, stay quiet, and wait for the next pool of water as you walk along. And that's where you make camp as you head towards the temple of God. That's life, folks. That's life. It's a journey of tears refreshed by water on its way to God. When will Jesus return? When will Jesus make it all okay? And Paul tells us in Thessalonians, soon, very, very soon, Paul says, live in such a way that you'll not be surprised like a thief in the night. To be connected to God is to wait. This is the lesson from Paul's letter to the Thessalonians. And I'm not sure the Thessalonians could wait any better than we could. And so we wrap up our five weeks of Paul's fired up letters. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. We didn't get to Romans and Corinthians because they were too big. But keep reading and rereading these little letters. This is like your daily dose. Read them. Read a chunk of them. Read the whole thing. Read until you have something to write. You keep a paper and a pen by you when you read the Bible. And when you have a thought, this is why you have a journal, you write it down. And then you've read enough. You don't read for quantity, volume. You read for insight. Because then it's a mirror and it tells you about yourself. This is how you study. This is how you meditate. And then you're good. We are those same Christ followers from the first century, and we got the same questions. When are you going to return, Jesus? And my life is a, you know, a hot mess and all the rest of it. we got the same problems, and we got the same answers. And I pray we are a people of passion and vision. We are the church. We are that unstoppable force upon the planet. Given but one life, everyone, you got one life to make a difference in the world in the name of Jesus Christ. This is your calling. Paul did just that, and it's changing us even today. And Paul expects the same from us, just as he expected it from the Thessalonians. This is what we've been given, and it is an honor and a privilege to have this life and to be these kind of people. Embrace everything of it that you can. 